Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and this is my biohacker book review of the biggest biohacking book, which is Boundless by Ben Greenfield. And this one gets four stars from me. I'll explain why. So I am doing this review with a uh, sense a bit of a sense of accomplishment, having just finished his, uh, it was 1,100 pages on my, on my e-reader. It came out to 1,100 pages. And it is Ben Greenfield's magnus opus. It is, uh, it is a big book, uh, and I do feel accomplished having, having finished it. And I am something of a super fan of... Benz. I read and listen to nearly everything that he puts out. And I do recommend this book enthusiastically, but actually I do have some criticisms of the book. Again, it only gets four stars from me, but what I'm going to do is those criticisms, I'm going to get into those at the end of this podcast because there's some really good stuff in the book that I want to deliver to you here, and I don't want to sully that with the with the the reasoned criticism that I do have of it. I don't want to turn you off from something that I think uh, could be uh, really an edifying book for you, because for me it was it was a great book. And uh, so I'm sure that you're familiar with Ben Greenfield. He's a health, fitness, biohacking podcaster. He's probably uh, either number one or number two, uh, maybe number three health, fitness, biohacking podcaster out there. And I've read, um, at this point, several podcasters' books where, and, and this is something Podcasters should think a little bit more before they put out books because um, there's a lot of podcasters' books where what they do is they uh, make a book, but it's basically kind of copy-pasting transcripts of interviews that they did on their podcast. So they have uh, bookified their podcasts. And in my view, in my experience, this just doesn't translate all that great. If I wanted interviews, then I just go listen to interviews. So please, if you're a podcaster, stop doing this. Um, but thankfully, Ben didn't do that with Boundless. It is a real book. It flows like a real book. It's not a bunch of interview transcripts. And it follows the compelling format that good nonfiction should. It mostly follows this format, which is a four-part, four-part stack of first story, second theory, third data, and then fourth pragmatic takeaway. And this is the way that I really like for nonfiction. This is the way I think it's a bit of a formula, I know, but this is the way I think that nonfiction should flow so that it's uh, compelling and interesting and so that you get value out of it and so that the author is 
uh, demonstrating that they have actually researched and know what they are talking about. So I think I'll dive right into the book with a discussion of nootropics versus smart drugs, because I have uh, no doubt uh, said these words thousands and thousands of times to you, and there is a difference between these two things, between nootropics and smart drugs. And before I elucidate that, I'm going to take, I'm going to take some nootropics here, actually. And this is Xamner juice. This is nootropic spray, in fact. Ooh, that tastes, that tastes real nice. And if you're not, you might want to watch the video version of this because I'm showing you what I'm talking about. And this is a product that comes from uh, Newtopia, actually, which is this giant box full of all these different nootropics, inc including nootropic mouth spray. You're going to want to stay tuned for my review of that particular product. So here's what Ben had to say. Quote, if a drug is strongly felt on a consistent basis, whenever you use it and it makes you high, wired, sedated, it is acting more like a smart drug or performance enhancer and is likely not a natural nootropic. Nootropics are sustainable for long-term use while smart drugs are not. Many people use the terms nootropic and smart drug as if they mean the same thing, but they're actually very distinct. All nootropics are technically smart drugs, but the opposite is not necessarily true. A smart drug is any substance that enhances memory, mood, concentration, or another aspect of cognitive function. Nootropics target the same functions, but by definition, they must also be neuroprotective and non-toxic, and they're usually derived from natural, non-synthetic sources. So if you wanted an example of a quintessential non-nootropic smart drug, that would be like modafinil, because modafinil, well, it's a drug, definitely, and it'll probably make you smarter, but it's really not a very sustainable kind of strategy, and it sure as hell is not even remotely natural. So that's something to think about. I think uh, in an as an ideal, a biohacker that was looking at being a sustainable biohacker that wanted to be a biohacker for decades or centuries perhaps even, they would want to look at using nootropics a lot more than they used smart drugs, where uh, smart drugs that gave them, you know, uh, an artificial cognitive boost, a push forward, but weren't necessarily sustainable, where that would end up being a, uh, a, a temporary or infrequent thing that they were doing. And that usually they were stimulating their brain power via more, uh, via more natural kinds of things. Okay. Next topic that we will look at is weight training. And anyone who has seen Ben Greenfield's Instagram or his uh, videos, he's a real big 
uh, muscular or he's a muscular kind of guy. Maybe you might not call him a big guy, but he's a lean guy. He's, he's a lean, mean, tough looking, tough looking guy because of weight training. And this is something that the book uh, deeply delves into. And it, one of the major points that I took away from the book is that if you lift stuff, you're going to live longer. That's right. Quote, a 2007 study demonstrated that six months of progressive resistance training, otherwise known as lifting heavy stuff, made the gene expression of aging mitochondria appear to be significantly younger. That's good news, right? We pursue all these sophisticated anti-aging strategies, but one of the most effective ones is lifting heavy stuff. Going on, the researchers reported healthy older adults show a gene expression profile in skeletal muscle consistent with mitochondrial dysfunction and associated processes such as cell death uh, uh, as compared with young individuals. Moreover, Following a period of resistance exercise training in older adults, we found that age-associated transcriptome expression changes were reversed, implying a restoration of a youthful expression profile. Yes, you read that right. When it comes to mitochondria, strength training reversed nearly 40 years of aging. 40 years, that is, uh, that is remarkable. That is longer than I have been on this planet. But exercise doesn't only affect mitochondria. It also promotes the growth of fat-burning, fast-twitch muscle fibers and even protects DNA from wear and tear by acting on the telomeres, the end caps of the DNA molecules. If you want the minimum effective dose of strength training, and that's a great concept, isn't it? The minimum effective dose, because uh, we have limited finite time uh, on this planet and in our own lives to do uh, strength training. So minimum effective dose, that's an important concept to keep in mind. Okay, so that will uh, help you find the sweet spot between longevity and muscle you can get away with as few as two strength workouts per week, okay? One with slow, controlled, heavy lifting, lifting, and one with high-intensity body weight movements. And uh, the next product that I'm going to be picking up that this book really sold me on is blood flow restriction bands. And this is one of the uh, higher impact, more higher leverage, yet very cheap uh, exercise equipment biohacks that is out there. Here's how he describes it. Katsu bands, also known as blood flow restriction bands, BFR for short, or occlusion training bands. Let's just call them uh, BFR bands. <laughs> let's, let's use the acronyms here to keep things concise. 
Okay, long used as potent training tools by elite athletes, law enforcement agencies, militaries, and Japanese martial artists. Much like a tourniquet, a katsu band, the name is a mashup of the Japanese words for additional and pressure. Katsu places pressure around your upper arms and legs. When you combine katsu training with bodyweight exercises, a suspension strap, or an elastic band, you can create a massively effective yet wonderfully simple workout. Take an upper body uh, weight exercise, such as a push-up or pull-up, and a lower body weight exercise, such as a lunge or squat, and perform this movement as slowly as you can. It should take at least 30 to 60 seconds to get to the top of one rep and 30 to 60 seconds to return, and then repeat to total exhaustion. This technique, known as eccentric negative or super slow training is a fast track method to build strength and mass. For an additional bonus, do this workout with BFR bands. Okay, that's a pretty good idea. And I looked those up. I think over on Amazon, you can get you can get a nice set of BFR bands for under 50 bucks, and that's going to make a real difference in your workouts. Okay, another anti-aging tip that I found interesting was that you should, if you want to live longer, you should endeavor to stay reproductively useful. And from the book, based on the theory that reproductive uselessness can accelerate aging because we are no longer able to propagate the population. It is important to maintain regular sexual activity with age and even utilize many of the sexual enhancement biohacks. And that, that this is a big idea, isn't it? And it kind of makes sense that if you're not having a lot of sex or if you're not having kids, then your genes, which are selfish, and your genes are more concerned with uh, your genes are more concerned with the collective of genes than they are with your individual well-being and happiness. If you're not having kids, then your genes are like, ah, uh, okay, this person's kind of a dead end. Especially if you're not having kids and not having sex, your genes are like, ah, uh, this person's kind of a dead end, and then your genes are going to begin to undermine your health so that they so that you're getting kind of removed from the collective your your genes are kind of looking at you as a useless eater if you are not uh, having sex regularly and hopefully having kids as well which should make the the people out there that are kind of the uh selfish nihilistic hedonists who are the the people who are like saying okay i'm never gonna have kids because, uh, well, I want to focus on my own happiness and uh, kids are too stressful and I don't want to bring kids into this world of all these stupid problems. Um, so I'm just going to, you know, those people are selfish, of course. Uh, usually they admit to that. And 
they are hoping, they're imagining that they are going to like live a long time. Um, but in fact, they're really undermining themselves because of because uh, their genes are not going to look at them as useful. That's kind of something to think about. And this book, actually, it taught me a few things about myself. For example, if you are dopamine dominant, you are likely strong-willed, strong-willed, fast on your feet, and self-confident. You tend to be highly rational and more comfortable with hard facts and figures than with emotions and feelings. You take pride in achievement, strategic thinking, problem solving, and inventing. You are overly alert, often hyperactive, and you need less sleep than others. Uh, you likely get bored with frequent cardio, and you love explosive workouts and heavy weights. And that describes me pretty well. Although I, I like a little bit of cardio, I like a little bit of cardio, and then I don't go insane with the heavy weights in the gym. I also learned that I am an under-methylator from the book, quote, because it can keep serotonin levels low, under-methylation can cause you to be a dopamine-seeking, hard-charging, high achiever. It can lead you to pursue perfection and achievement and has been associated with obsessive compulsive tendencies, a low tolerance for pain and ritualistic behaviors. If you are prone to undermethylation, you'll do well with a high intake of muscle meats. And yeah, that totally sounds like me. And sometimes we can be judgmental of people that are that are if we are stimulus seeking, we can we can sometimes be judgmental of people that are not so stimulus seeking. And if we are also people that are not so stimulus seeking, sometimes we can be judgmental of people really seeking a lot of stimulus. Uh, as in my in my 20s and early 30s, I was the kind of person that I wanted to go to the wildest parties and I wanted to drive the fastest car, and I wanted to travel to uh, remote countries that people, I wanted to travel to countries where there was a civil war going on, just so that I could say that I'd really been to an edgy place. And, um, and then when I went to those countries, I would, uh, I would go out to a nightclub alone on a Tuesday night and stay out till 2 a.m. I was really stimulus-seeking. And sometimes I would be uh, judgmental of people that were like, they were like, man, well, why do you need all that stimulus? Just, just, you know, I'm happy with watching a football game on TV, <laughs> you know? And I would be judgmental of people that weren't quite so stimulus-seeking. But that's that's kind of because my my brain is wired to go after all of that dopamine. Right, so that's something to kind of think about when sometimes you see people and you're like, "Why, why aren't these people doing more with their lives?" Well, they're just different than you, and you should be, you know, thankful of the unique way that you are wired. I also learned in the book uh, about chronotypes, and I learned that I'm a, a wolf for the most part, and wolves have a hard time waking up early and are most energetic in the evenings. And yeah, that's, um, I will sometimes get up at, like I think this morning I got up 
a little bit before eight. So I'm not one of those 6 a.m. hard charging kind of people. And then in the evenings, I like to extract some productivity from the evenings. Let's move on. The book talks a lot about breath work. And breath work is a really cool thing. In the 500th episode, there was a lot of people, uh, breath work was something that we talked about because it is, it is one of the top free biohacks. You know, a lot of these biohacks cost a lot of money. A lot of the things that improve your health cost a lot of money. Breath work, it's free. It's awesome. So uh, this section, the sections in breath work alone, I think are probably something that make the book worth it. On page 71, he writes, breathe in through whichever nostril correlates to the part of the brain you want to activate, keeping in mind that the left side of the brain is associated with the right side of the body and vice versa. For example, if you want to have more left brain analytical logical task to accomplish, proceed it with two, one to two minutes of inhaling only through your right nostril. If you need to accomplish more right brain creative task, then inhale through the left nostril. Breathing only through your left nostril is also an effective way to activate the parasympathetic nervous system before a bed or a nap. So that's a real interesting thing to think about, right? Is before, try this out. This is something you could try out. Is before bed tonight, just cover up your left nostril and breathe like this for about for about two or three minutes. And then just see if you end up falling asleep a little bit easier. Or you could even do this as kind of a, you could do this as an anger management thing or as a stress management kind of thing. Is just breathe in and out through your right nostril. And you'll have to try that for yourself and see what sort of effect it has. He also describes the control pause technique. Okay, so a control pause, which he calls a CP, is a breath hold after a normal exhalation of air until you experience the tiniest desire to breathe in. Okay, that's kind of an important point. The tiniest desire to breathe in. Control pause provides an excellent feedback about your ability to efficiently raise your carbon dioxide levels and engage in nasal breathing. To obtain an accurate measurement, rest for 10 minutes before the exercise. Next, begin to breathe through your nose. After exhaling normally, through your nose, not a full deep exhalation. Squeeze the tip of your nose with your fingers and look at a stopwatch. If you experience even the slightest inclination to breathe in or grasp air at six seconds, immediately let go. If you have a long, if you have to take a big breath at the end of the breath hold, then you've held your breath for too long. A good control pause is 30 seconds. A very good control pause is 45 seconds. 
and Buteco claimed that if someone had a control pause of 60 seconds, then he or she is insured against illness. A control pause lower than 30 seconds indicates room for improvement, while a control pause lower than 15 seconds is indicative of symptoms such as uh, respiratory issues, dis, uh, disordered slow breathing, anxiety, or stress. So that's kind of a, that's a, that's a great self-quantification thing, isn't it? And then speaking of the nose, he talks about nasal breathing quite a bit, and he talks about it in the chapter on beauty hacking. And this is an interesting thing. So nasal breathing is a beauty hack Perhaps not for you, but for babies. If you're, if you, if you have a baby, or if you're going to have a baby, nasal breathing is important. Here's why. This is interesting. Okay, nasal breathing enhances smell, improves oxygen absorption in your lungs by increasing nitric oxide production in the sinuses, warms and humidifies the air you breathe before it reaches the lower airway and helps filter impurities from the air via the hairs and cavities within the sinuses. And then in the book, he describes what happens when, uh, as babies and children, when we learn to breathe primarily with our mouths as opposed to our noses. Okay, when the jaws are set back, and the airway is smaller, there is poor definition of the cheekbones as the face sinks downward. The nose becomes asymmetrical. The upper back and neck postural changes occur that result in decreased muscle strength, less chest expansion, impaired breathing, disrupted sleep, and even subpar athletic performance. When kids develop a mouth breathing habit, instead of breathing through their noses, the tongue isn't in the correct position to act as a natural form of braces and cause the teeth to grow straight. And as I read that, that paragraph there, I was thinking, that's me. That is, that is totally me. Uh, I have kind of sunken cheekbones. I have my nose is a little bit asymmetrical. I don't quite have the straightest of uh, of teeth, and and I, I'm not a classically good-looking kind of guy. I, I, I've uh, made work what uh, what I inherited, but uh, I think about wow, you know, if I was taught to uh, to nose breathe instead of mouth breathe as a little tyke, you know, I. I probably would have been a bit better looking. But of course, uh, people didn't know these kinds of things uh, back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s when I was growing up. But this is definitely something that uh, when you have kids, when I have kids, I'm going to be teaching them to, to nose breathe so that they end up uh, living life with all the advantages that uh, good looking people are blessed with. Moving on, let's talk about grounding. And grounding, this is another really cool uh, free biohack. Okay, then there is grounding, which is so important for releasing accumulated 
positive ions from your body, also known as earthing. Grounding is the practice of exposing your body to the natural magnetic frequencies produced by the earth. When you have your feet firmly planted on the ground, you come into contact with negative ions, which are produced by turbulent, crashing water, such as waves at the beach and waterfalls, and in forests, mountains, and other places affected by rainstorms or thunderstorms. When you are exposed to negative ions, your body releases positive ions that accumulate via cellular metabolism. Accumulated positive ions reduce the natural electrochemical gradient across your cell membranes. This gradient is responsible for allowing compounds in and out of your cells. So when excess positive ions disrupt the gradient, they also disrupt cellular metabolism and increase inflammation. For more information on grounding, watch the documentary entitled, fittingly enough, The Grounded. It tells the story of Haynes, Alaska, where lives were changed and health dramatically improved. And I do link to this documentary. The entire documentary is up on YouTube, and I've got it embedded in the article linked below wherever you are watching or listening to this. And you are going to want to watch this documentary as it is uh, very well produced. It's a beautiful documentary shot um, in Alaska and also all over the United States and uh, Europe, actually. And it uh, shows these pretty impressive transformations to people's health resulting from just do, from from simply doing grounding on the regular like there is a guy who's a, a paraplegic a guy who has no control of his body at all he's one of these you know people that's just stuck in his head basically and as a result of grounding, he regains the ability to walk. Not, not walking well. Um, he has to use a walker, and I think he can only walk uh, 30 or 40 steps. But he goes from paraplegic to being able to walk as a re result of grounding. It's, it's pretty mind-blowing. A lot of people have uh, transformations with chronic pain and that sort, of, that sort of thing. So that is one thing that, well... I, I'm actually interested in people's feedback on this one. I have not figured out a good way to integrate grounding into my day-to-day -day life because I live in the center of, um, I, I live in a city center and I, I, I don't think there's any grass around where I live and I wouldn't want to walk in it because there'd be broken grass broken glass and, uh, and, and and dog poop and all sorts of nastiness. And I also don't want to do the uh, the grounding into the wall socket thing that some people do because I know just how much dirty electricity there must be in the ground here in the city. In the city center, I wish I could get out, uh, you know, and go and uh, go streaking in a, in, a, in a meadow more often. <laughs> I, I can't seem to find a great way to integrate grounding into my life. Maybe maybe somebody, some people can give me some, some tips on that. Uh, moving forward, he talks about HRV, heart rate variability. He writes, in my experience, 
low HRV arises from a poor diet, a poor breathing relationship and work stress overtraining, poor air quality, excessive artificial light exposure, electrical pollution from Wi-Fi and Bluetooth signals, or impure water. When I addressed each of these variables in my own life over years of cleaning up damage, I achieved a consistent HRV of 90 every day. And I've also done a lot of self-quantification with HRV. And my finding, this was an interesting finding, was that I got my very highest HRV scores when I was using nicotine. When I would take a little bit of uh, nicotine and use it as a smart drug, my, my coherence has never been as high. And I've tried, oh boy, so many different nootropics at this point. And nicotine beat the pants off of everything else. So for me, at least, that's a pretty great drug for kind of, uh, for my autonomic nervous system, handling the myriad stresses, both internal and external, of life. And then let's move on. He has a whole chapter on diet, really great chapter. And a couple of takeaways from there. First of all, chew more. This one's simple, but something, something we can all do. Chew more. Here's why. This is a simple strategy to help your digestive system that you can begin immediately. Every time you eat a meal, chew each bite of food 25 times. Yes, that's, that's right, 25 times. Your mouth, like your stomach, is full of digestive enzymes, such as salivary alpha amylase. So by taking your time and chewing, you are giving those enzymes a chance to do their job. You're also allowing optimum time for your gallbladder to release bile into your stomach. And then let's get a bit more theoretical on the red meat question. You've heard red meat debated endlessly back and forth. Here's what he says. Observational studies cannot prove causality and scientists are still not entirely sure if high red meat intake itself is harmful or if other factors related to high red meat intake are responsible, such as an overall lower quality diet, low consumption of fruits and vegetables, or high intake of heavily processed meats or fast food. Nevertheless, certain components of red meat especially those found in processed or overcooked meat, are indeed linked to adverse health effects. While researchers have hypothesized that eating plenty of herbs, spices, fruits, and vegetables may partially offset the harmful effects of high red meat intake, this doesn't justify a 16-ounce ribeye steak every night for dinner, just so long as you have a side of kale. So that's kind of interesting. I think I still lean to the side. I'm a carnivore, certainly, but I think I lean towards being a bit more conservative 
on meat. I don't believe in going buck wild on meat. Maybe one day when I uh, when I have my own cow and I can uh, I'll adopt a cow and uh, raise the cow and we'll you know give the cow the most pristine and happy cow life that it could possibly imagine and then I'll blow its brains out and 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 store it and uh, eat it. You know, maybe then, maybe then I'll, I'll go full carnivore. But until then, I think I'm going to remain uh, kind of conservative on uh, meat. However, he also describes the problem with the vegetarian diet, which is that certain nutrients can only be acquired via the consumption of animal products, including these, creatine, which increases muscular uh, power output and enhances cognitive function, vitamin B12, which maintains healthy myelin sheaths to protect your neurons, DHA, which is vital for proper cognitive development and cell membrane function, carnosine, which enhances antioxidant activity in the brain to protect against oxidative damage, taurine, which plays a role in preventing heart disease if you heart disease. So if you are a vegetarian, you are likely missing out on at least one of these critical nutrients. And yeah, if I ever met a responsible um, biohacker vegetarian, they, they would just need to be taking so many different supplements to account for the, um, to, to account for what they are in fact missing on psychedelics. Quote, by integrating the correct doses of psychedelics into your weekly routine, you can achieve more creativity, more energy, improve mood, increase focus, and better relational skills. There is a growing body of research that suggests that microdosing can improve depression, anxiety, PTSD, and emotional imbalance, help with alcohol and tobacco addiction, and mitigate ADD and ADHD behaviors. But, and this is a big but, like uh, what you'd find on, uh, I don't know, Jennifer Lopez from the year 1999. But there is, there are a variety of websites that sell psychedelics, but not all sources contain good quality ingredients, nor is there any guarantee that the substance you purchase is not laced with undesirable compounds. Furthermore, important point here, I personally feel that anyone who strikes out on a quest to find themselves via a hedonistic ego-dissolving journey involving plant-based compounds such as ayahuasca, DMT, marijuana, psilocybin, or ibogaine should instead first engage in a comparatively stoic immersion in the spiritual disciplines of fasting, solitude, study, meditation, and prayer. Even if that means delaying, say, a five-day trip to Peru for the alternative of a five-day solo journey into the wilderness near one's home. I suspect, he writes, that many people will discover they can experience intense physical, mental, and spiritual breakthroughs via a 
bout of fasting, silence, and nature immersion, and that this experience can rival or even exceed any benefits derived from a plant medicine journey. And interestingly, Ben Greenfield has since uh, just this year, he has really changed his song on psychedelics, which I welcome. I detail my objections to psychedelics in a uh, documentary style video series that I did entitled Psychedelics Are Problematic. Ben's objections to psychedelics revolve around a, um, a spiritual religious conviction that he has about psychedelics potentially being pharmakia, about them uh, opening up negative, uh, potentially negative spiritual windows of dark spiritual forces that could affect one's life. He makes a case for that in a, in a podcast series he did, which I will link to. But my argument, my arguments against psychedelics are all pragmatic. And I think uh, they are very popular. They're very, very popular. I realize many people are very curious about them. But I think that there are better alternatives that are safer and legal for everything that people, for, all, for everything that people say psychedelics do. So let's list a couple of things that he describes here. Okay, so let's say more greater creativity. If you want greater creativity, uh, you do nicotine. It'll really help with that. You want more energy? Well, any one of the nootropics is gonna give you more energy. Uh, if you want to improve mood, then you can do something like loving kindness meditation where you think a happy thought for someone else every single time you go to the bathroom, uh, provided you go to the bathroom about once an hour, okay? That'll make you happier. Increased focus, well, you can listen to uh, something like Brain FM, Holosync, going to give you better focus. Better relational skills. Maybe you're a person who's like, who's a, um, who's a uh, dopamine, a, an undermethylator type of person who's more uh, rational and less relational. Someone like me can read fiction and reading nonfiction. I can acquire better relational skills or uh, studying social dynamics. He also mentions things like improving depression. Okay, if you want to improve depression, well, you can go and get uh, exercise. Um, exercise really consistently improves depression, uh, improves things with depression. Uh, what about anxiety? Well, you do meditation. What about PTSD? Okay, PTSD, actually the anti-aging substance methylene blue has a very consistent effect on improving PTSD. And then it has all these other really amazing uh, health benefits for you. Whereas, and, and I would I would contend uh, emotional imbalance. Okay. I would contend that methylene blue would help with emotional imbalance also. Whereas psychedelics, and a lot of people praise psychedelics for overcoming PTSD, but there's just as many cases. If you go on the internet, you do a little bit of research. There's M numerous, numerous cases of people that get PTSD from doing the psychedelics themselves. So it seems like a really bad way to address PTSD. 
What about helping with alcohol and tobacco addiction? Well, there's a lot of things that can help with alcohol or tobacco addiction. Um, when it comes to tobacco, I think about uh, rhodiola, for example. When my uh, wife quit smoking cigarettes years and years and years ago, she uh, went on rhodiola, and I think it might have helped her a little bit. What about mitigating ADD and ADHD behaviors? Well, for that sort of thing, you could do any one of the smart drugs. Uh, the racetams are going to help mitigate ADHD-type behaviors, as would brain training. Brain training really helped me to overcome my uh, childish uh, ADHD type of tendencies. So yeah, as far as I can tell, for almost everything, that, for almost all the personal development benefits that people attribute to psychedelics, there are much safer, much more legal um, alternatives out there. So that's why I remain kind of a I don't know, maybe a psychedelic skeptical. Again, watch, if you're thinking about doing psychedelics, go and watch the two-part documentary series that I did. Moving forward, let's talk about biohacking tech because anybody who's uh, listened to many of Ben's podcasts will know that the guy is really into the biohacking tech. Okay, so when it comes to biohacking your breathing, he recommends something that I am eager to try. And I will link to this because maybe you want to try some of these things. He says, like a training mask, the power lung is a small handheld resistance training device for the lungs, not an altitude st simulator. But the way, but the best way to build fitness in your diaphragm and inspiratory and expira expiratory muscles is just as with any other muscle in the body to train them. I'm often asked why one wouldn't just save some money and breathe through a straw to create this effect. It comes down to the concept of threshold resistance. When you breathe in and out through a power lung, you are working against a threshold of resistance that is the same for every breath. You are not breathing through a restricted orifice where the load can be reduced just by changing the way you breathe. Boy, this one I want to try. And then he also mentions a sleep hack that I am thinking quite a bit about, which is the Aura Ring. And it has not only taken the world by storm, but has also impressively upgraded its tracking capabilities, making it the number one tool that I now use to track my readiness to train using a built-in algorithm called the Readiness Score. And boy, I have got mixed feelings on the Aura Ring. I was this close, this close to hitting the buy now button and getting it. But unfortunately, Aura has succumbed to the odious subscription service business model. And here's the way that I feel about this. So you, you may have seen this around on the internet in the, in the health biohacking sphere. There's more and more products that are charging a monthly fee 
for things. And I did a Reddit rant about this, and I'm going to develop my thoughts on this one a little bit more and put out some more content. But here's my thoughts, okay? So I have two red light therapy devices. And you know what I really love about my red light therapy devices is that I don't have to pay $19 monthly for them to continue working. My red light therapy devices don't have software that needs to be updated. I don't need to worry about Bluetooth misconnections with them. They don't need permission to my smartphone's location services settings, and they don't have a username password that I need to keep track of. I just plug in my red light therapy devices, flip them on, and they work. It's that simple. And I think that the bio, I think that we, as the biohacking community, I think that we should demand that more biohacking products be like that. I'm increasingly uneasy about the trend of biohacking products that cost several hundred dollars up front and then have an ongoing monthly cost. And you might say with something like the Aura Ring, well, it's only $5 a month. I don't mind paying that for a product, which actually empowers my health, happiness, and productivity. But there's, I can understand that argument. I've thought the same thing myself. That's what I was thinking when I was about to get the Aura Ring. But there's a couple of real problems with this subscription service model. Okay, so... If you ever miss a payment on uh, your device on this device that you spent hundreds of dollars on, if you ever miss that monthly payment, that five dollar or nineteen dollar or whatever monthly payment, then that device turns into a paperweight. <laughs> it becomes useless. Secondly, businesses fail a lot. Most businesses don't survive more than a few years, and you have to ask. What happens if you drop a few hundred bucks on a device with a software subscription service and they go out of business a few years later, which statistically they have a high likelihood of going out of business. Um, and then they just, uh, and then they stop updating the device's software or, or, or they just stop hosting the product's online platform. What's going to happen at that point? Uh, thirdly, Subscription services incentivize entrepreneurs, inventors, and companies to half-ass the product they are offering. Companies invest more in marketing than R&D or quality assurance when they know that they can fix bugs and issues with their problem just with uh, just via product, just via updates that are delivered via via the cloud. And then I am also final point. I'm also kind of like a doomsday prepper, uh, or at least that's sort of the mentality that I bring to a lot of the stuff I do in life. And I really like products that might work post the collapse of neoliberal modernity, right? And these subscription service products that rely on cloud hosting and apps these things are just going to turn into pricey paperweights. If Amazon Web Services, which is uh, the platform that hosts all of all of these kinds of things, if that ever goes down, all these things just become uh, all, they just become paperweights. 
And I, I do pay monthly for some supplements because I use them up every month. It makes sense to get some supplements on subscription, I think. And with some uh, types of products, I do think a subscription service does make makes sense. But I really do object to this uh, trend of biohacking products and gadgets being rolled out with superfluous subscription services demanding ongoing payment for features that should be built in or or hard-coded kinds of things. So I don't know, maybe give me your thoughts on that. I'm still really on the fence about the Aura ring. Speaking of something that is not a subscription service product, get a hand grip trainer. And this is because grip strength is highly correlated with both full body strength and surprisingly overall longevity. I cannot recommend highly enough that you add a high quality uh, hand grip trainer, such as the aircraft grade aluminum captains of crush devices. And I want one of these myself. I'm going to uh, link to them via the, uh, via the review page on Limitless Mindset. And then there's a fascinating historical anecdote that he that I'll conclude the uh, biohacking tech section with. So the original brain biohacking wearable was an electric ray. That's right. Also known as a torpedo fish. Yep, you read that right. In AD, Agno Domini 46, the personal physician to the Roman Emperor Claudius applied a live electric ray to the emperor's forehead to successfully relieve his migraines. That's, that's mind-blowing, isn't it? Way back, and, and that's something to think about too back then um, when you can just imagine like all the things that could potentially go wrong with uh, applying an electric ray to your forehead. And if you were the emperor if you were the imperial physician, you know, uh, if, if you pissed off the emperor, you know, it'd be off with his head, right? So that that physician had a lot of, he must have really known what he was doing, applying, um, yeah, applying that, that particular uh, biotech, <laughs> right? Okay, next section is on quantify thyself. That's what I'm gonna call it. And he talks about uh, reference ranges of lab testing, because that's what most people think about when you're talking about uh, self-quantification. People think about, oh, yeah, I'm going to go and get my testosterone or my TSH lab tested and make sure, get, make sure that I'm uh, within the reference ranges. But it's a bit more complicated than that. He writes, here's the first reason why reference ranges can be problematic. There's no universally applicable range for most test results. Different labs can use different ranges. So if you go to one lab for, say, a blood test, you might get results that suggest you're perfectly healthy. But if you get the same test at a different lab, your results might be 
abnormal. Most labs don't even carry out their own research to establish reference ranges, but instead use those provided by test manufacturers. Labs are supposed to perform 20 sample tests to verify that the manufacturer's ranges are accurate, but most labs don't even perform this step. The second reason why laboratory reference ranges need to be viewed with a wary eye is that they don't necessarily reflect levels that would help you go from good to great. They simply reflect the absence of disease. So when you get your blood test done and you get those results back, it's, it's not quite enough for you to just say, oh, I'm within the reference range, I'm good. What you really want to do is do a, a search on what is the healthy range. Look at what is the healthy range for these different, for, for uh, testosterone or estrogen or progesterone, whatever it may be. And yeah, so it entail, getting a blood test done, it entails a bit more homework than you might imagine. And one of the things I liked about the book was it did give uh, a discussion of what are the healthy ranges for a number of different biomarkers. And in fact, he gives us kind of a, um, a protocol of what's an ideal self-quantification scenario. Uh, there's a million tests that you can take, right? Um, so he narrows down the ones that are more or less essential. Okay. So here's what the ideal self simple self-quantification scenario would look like. Do a DNA test once in your lifetime because your, your genes aren't going to change uh, unless you take the COVID vaccine, right? Doing a comprehensive blood test once a year. Doing a gut microbiome test or, or one of those stool panels. Those are fun, right? Once a year or whenever the gut seems to significantly change in function or health, the Dutch test is once per year or when feeling fatigued with no explanation, particularly if libido is low. A food allergy test such as Cyrex is once a year or whenever the gut seems to significantly change in function or health. Readiness and sleep, and sleep tracking, that's daily. Ketones and, glu and glucose testing. Uh, optional, but ideally performed on a daily basis or when adopting a new diet or when attempting to evaluate how different food groups affect glycemic variability or ketones. Micronutrient test, optional, but to be performed if concerned about energy levels or health issues or when you want to dial in supplementation and, dial and diet protocol even more thoroughly. And as I move towards my conclusion and the criticisms that I have for this book, let's, let's touch on the topic of faith or religion, spirituality, whatever you want to call it. Interestingly, here's what he had to say. One study analyzed the relationship between religious practice, stress, and death in middle age and controlled for socioeconomic factors, health insurance, and healthy behaviors. The researchers found that churchgoers had a significantly lower risk of dying, and after adjusting for age, sex, race, and chronic medical conditions, 
churchgoers were 46% less likely to die in the follow-up period after the study compared to non-churchgoers. If I had to choose just one section of the Bible that best explains how to optimize your health and longevity through simple religious practices and common sense morality, it would be Proverbs 3. So this, if you also look at the book, The Blue Zones, about people, about the places in the world where the people live the longest and seem to be the healthiest, religion and faith was a, was, was a commonality. So if you're a, if you're a biohacker, if you're a person that really cares about your health and you really want to live a long time, but you're an atheist, I would really urge you to uh, re-examine atheism. And I think that you'll find that there's enough logical, rational, critical thinking holes in atheism that you can embrace uh, spirituality, faith, potentially even religion, and then enjoy all of the uh, health and um, happiness and interpersonal benefits that are entailed therein. And he does mention chapter uh, Proverbs 3, okay? And I thought I should explore Proverbs 3. And recently, I received my childhood Bible. This is a really nice Bible. And so we're going to do just a little bit of, uh, we're going to go, we're going to flip to Proverbs 3. And Proverbs 3 is relatively short. So I'll give that a reading. You didn't expect a, you didn't expect a, a reading from the, from the good word, did you? And remarkably enough, this I didn't expect. This Bible, it's 20, 25 years old, and it was just brought to me here in Bulgaria. And I flip open to Proverbs 3, and sure enough, I have a note. I have a, a sticky note from Proverbs 3 that was in there. That's something, isn't it? That, that's a, that's a, an amazing, uh, what would they call that? A synchronicity? A, uh, a, uh, that, that, I left a note in the very section of the Bible that is mentioned in uh, the biohacking book, right? Okay, so here is chapter three on further benefits of wisdom. Okay, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor with a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will set your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Hey, I like 
I like that part. That part. Speaking of uh, speaking of health. Okay, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciples those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in, blessed is the man who finds wisdom for... Um, blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who finds understanding, for he is more profitable than silver, and silver better returns than gold. Okay, no, no, no. She is more precious than rubles. Ah, okay. So this is a verse talking about finding finding wisdom. And then is it describing wisdom as she? That would be interesting, right? Okay. So she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than uh, rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the deep were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. My son, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will be on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble when you lie down. You will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. And we're getting towards the end of chapter three here. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared. Do not withhold goods from those who deserve it. When it is in your power to act, do not say to your neighbor, come back later. I'll give it tomorrow when you have it with you uh, right then. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways. For the Lord deserves, for the Lord detests a perverse man, but take the upright into his confidence. The Lord the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but the but the fools he holds up to shame. Huh. And that is chapter three of uh, the book of Proverbs, which uh, I think Proverbs is often kind of described as the self-help section of the Bible. So this book gets four stars from me. And I've got two pieces of uh, criticism you can call for it. 
So the book begins with a grandstanding introduction to Ben. He lets you know just how awesome he is, how amazingly athletic he is, how successful he's been in business, how happy his family is, etc. And apparently he finds time to read a book every day while maintaining the physique of a Greek god, being a CEO, and a devoted family man. And the implication here is do what I've done and you'll be like me. Which, this is not totally misleading. The more you invest in your health, the better your life will get. Biohacking really does broaden your horizons. It's the most surefire way to wield true free will, to rise above mundanity, to plot your own course, and take your destiny into your own hands. But as I was reading this uh, grandstanding introduction, I was I thought not that Ben was wildly exaggerating, but that he's a person who has won the genetic lottery in a major way and then stacked on a bunch of hacks resulting in his awesome life. If you're very red-pilled on genetics, you know that religion encourages evolutionary fitness. In general, religious people are more evolutionarily fit. That's right, I have a link to where, I have a link rabbit hole if you want to explore that one a bit. So you would expect a tall, good-looking, fervently religious guy descended from American pioneer stock like Ben to have a good life because of the very special evolutionary pressures that were put on his ancestors. And people will often compliment me on my intelligence and intellect, and that is not something that I personally take full credit for. My grandfather was one of the top NASA engineers responsible for getting men to the moon and back. Yes, I do believe we actually went to the moon. I have watched all of the conspiracy theory documentaries about uh, debunking the moon landing, and I think there's enough evidence that we did actually go, and I will link to a really good debate that was done on this topic. It just is a bit of a a sidebar for the conspiracy theories out there. So my grandfather was one of the main people that got mankind to the moon and back. And so I too have been gifted by the genetic lottery. I don't, my intellect, I don't take full credit for it myself. I've, I've done a bit, I've done a bit to, uh, to uh, cultivate it, but I can't take full credit to it. Some of that is, some of that is just genetics. And I, I think that maybe Ben should have given a bit more credit where credit is due there. And then the second point of criticism, and this is a more major point of criticism, is I have to deduct a star because of the relentless pitching throughout the book. And this is a criticism that a lot of the other reviewers make of it. Obviously, biohackers need to spend some money on products and supplements to 
optimize health, but the product and brand recommendations are made so frequently in the book that it's clear that Ben Greenfield and co did a lot of sponsorship sales pre-publication. And there are a couple of issues with this other than the really obvious one, which is that a book should not be an advertising platform, okay? Especially a $55 book shouldn't be an advertising platform. Here's the other issues I have with it. The book is not going to age well because health companies and brands go out of business. They rebrand. They discontinue products and sometimes they sell, sometimes health, health companies and health brands, sometimes they sell out. They do a deal with the devil and they get acquired by multinational uh, chemical corporations. Uh, shout out to uh, Aubrey Marcus of onit.com. And so you can think about uh, Napoleon Hill's classic book, Think and Grow Rich, and it would not be such a timeless book if Napoleon Hill were urging the readers to, uh, to mail order cocaine tooth drops in it from uh, the Sears Roebuck catalog, right? What makes the book so timeless is that it's, he's talking about things that are relevant to people at, at, at any time, at any time in history. Um, so secondly, some of the products pitched in the book are only available to the American market. And a huge newsflash, not everybody is in America. <laughs> there's, there, there's definitely some Americans that seem to be convinced that the whole world is, is America, but there's, believe it or not, there, there's other countries there's other continents out there and we don't quite have the same access to all the same lovely products. Um, so it makes part of the book kind of irrelevant to uh, people uh, like here in Europe. And then thirdly, it makes it seem like biohacking and healthy living are only for rich people who can afford to spend hundreds of dollars a month on supplements and thousands of dollars on fancy biohacking devices and tech. So if you're a biohacker balling on a budget or if you're new to this whole biohacking health thing and you're like, how the hell am I gonna afford to actually get as healthy as, as all these people on the internet are talking about they are? Well, you're going to want to watch, listen to the 500th Limitless Mindset podcast, which was 33 impactful free or cheap biohacks and life hacks. But I'm not going to be as harsh on Ben as some of the book's other reviewers were because the book contains just as many free or cheap things that people can do to optimize health. Each chapter has an exhaustive recommended resources page on the book's website. And that is the place for affiliate and sponsor recommendations, not in the pages of a pricier book like this. Heck, even the Kindle version of the book was $30, $30 for a file, right? Uh, that is not the place for product recommendations in a book, especially if it's the, the physical book that's gonna be sitting on people's people's bookshelves for decades 
in decades, you know, accumulating some dust until they need to teach their kids something and they pull it on down and there's a, there's a product or recommendation of uh, something from some business that went out of business uh, a decade, a decade prior. That, that was a little bit, that was a little bit egregious, I thought. So minus a star for that. And in conclusion, I do recommend that you pick this book up. You're probably not going to read it cover to cover as I did, but it's well worth getting it and then reading the individual chapters on the, the health area that you really want to work on. So it could be sleep hacking, sex hacking, longevity, exercise, brain power, etc. And uh, while I wish I had the hardcover edition of it, so then I would have something that I, that could weigh down my coffee table in the event of a tornado, I think the digital option is actually, I think that's the better option because then you can just control F and then search for whatever you want. And I'll finish my review with a, um, a fitting description from towards the end of the book. Ben writes, I live a life immersed in an odd yet highly thrilling marriage of ancestral wisdom and modern science, tapping each day into what it means to be fully human and reaching into every nook and cranny of a full mind, body, and spirit optimization. And that, that's really what we are after as biohackers. So I do wish that for you. And I think this book might help you to find it. If you've read it yourself, do drop me a comment. Let me know what your thoughts were on it. And this book was so long that I'm thinking I may take a little break from reading health books. I may delve into some philosophy or uh, history kind of books. If you have some recommendations of what you'd like to see me, what, what you think I should read, what I might find edifying, and then what, what books you might like to see me review, let me know. Shoot me a message or an email, and I will give some, some real consideration to those. I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset. Looking forward to a continued conversation with you.